For the 19th episode of An Hour with Flower, I'm joined by someone who won the 2001 Under-21 Europeans in Poland. Injuries derailed his career, but he's gone and had a very successful career in teaching and coaching, and he's got lots of stories to tell. I'm, of course, talking about Tim Holst. Tim, how are you? Very good. Is it Ben or Flower? I'm calling you here. <laughs> I don't mind anything that anything that you would prefer, really. Where, no, where are you? Well, about to you at the moment? Well, uh, yeah, well, I'm at, I'm at home at the moment, so um, kind of boys have, boys have gone down. Boys, my two little lads have gone to sleep, and, uh, and I get a bit of peace and quiet, and I get to talk to someone to have a good conversation, such as yourself. Yeah, I do, and I, I'd say so many people have got stories to tell about yourself and I'm sure you've got a lot of stories to tell about the fleet having been around like you said since 2001 winning that you know under 21 Europeans how did that feel when you when you were up on the podium yeah it was um yeah it's an amazing feeling it was a real real kind of moment of being proud and lots of things that had come together um and kind of come together to make that happen. And it was awesome. My parents were that were out there with me, so I was really lucky to do something back in front of my parents. And that kind of made them proud as well. And I kind of saw it as the start of a journey uh, rather than the end, I suppose, at the time. So I was super excited about what I'd done, but I was even more excited about what I wanted to carry on doing. Um, so it was, it, was a, it was a great moment, really proud. They do say standing on top with your flag on your shoulders, and watching them flag it up the mast is a special moment. And uh, yeah, from from that kind of little ceremony there, I can I can definitely agree with that. It must have been a great achievement, you know, a great feeling. So to have that great achievement, and you've also sailed with a a lot of different sailors, and from you know, and also coached a lot of different sailors. And we're going to start. We've been doing it recently with a few different people, sort of trying to build sort of like a perfect sailor in a way so i'll give you a few names of different sailors and sort of just comes you know whatever sort of comes naturally to the top of your head about a unique quality that they possess that maybe other people don't don't possess does that make sense to you tim yeah okay yeah so let's start with the first one is uh paul goodison yeah, so Goody's been in the media pretty recently on uh, American Magic, where it didn't quite go to plan. Um, but you know, I, I've got I spent a lot of time with Paul um, throughout the years, and he did some coaching for me. I was kind of in the youth system, and he he kind of did some coaching, and then I did pretty well in certain events and got myself into the Olympic squad and spent many years sailing with him and against him and going around. But you know, Paul Paul for me was somebody that I think about a lot now when I'm coaching and really Paul was an extremely natural sailor and when I say that I'm not necessarily about natural talent but he spent a huge amount of time feeling the boat and getting back from the boat through his bum through his feet through his hands and kind of sailing on that field and that robotic I know we can learn tactics and strategies and you know take your long tack first and so on and so forth and of course they're kind of tactics that certainly and strategies that certainly do give you plenty of success. But I think Paul was also plenty of times he'd, he'd go against those types of uh, taught strategies and would still come out winning. And when you talk to him afterwards, you kind of say, well, why? And he'd go, well, it was pretty obvious. I had my head out of the boat and I saw loads more wind and everyone else just sailed the opposite way and I just saw it and went for it. And you kind of think, well, that's so easy and it's so obvious. Um, but it was it was all about kind of sailing very naturally. He came from a little pond 
um, up near Sheffield called Ully. So maybe it's because he spent so much time kind of chasing wind around the little pond. Uh, that kind of became a real kind of skill for him. But when you're sailing around the Mediterranean in the summers, um, a lot of that kind of theory goes out the window. And you've got to sail in what you can see and sail in what you can feel. And he, you know, Goody was a, a, a top, top guy with that. Um, and certainly someone that we spent uh, pretty much all our time trying to chase um, in the in the Olympic kind of categories. I think in 2007, I think he won pretty much every uh, grade one event that he went to, including Worlds and Europeans, which actually in the history of laser sailing, not many people have done. Okay, that's that's really good to know about Paul. What about Ian Percy then? Yeah, so first, um, I was first introduced to Ian at the UKSA Sailing Academy. Must have been um, 1996, probably. Yeah, 96 it would have been. I was in the top of national squad. And Chris Gowers was our coach. And um, Gowers, being a laser sailor, um, was, our, was our top of head coach. So it was a real fantastic, I mean, amazing coach. I look back at the coaches I had as a kid and, and kind of realised now how lucky I was. Um, perhaps didn't realise it back then. But yeah, we, so we used to um, launch our boats in um, Warsash. All the trolleys would go onto a rib and then we'd sail the toppers across to the UKSA. Then our trolleys would be there, we'd pull them up and then we'd sail out the UKSA for a week and then we'd sail ourselves back on a Friday. Um, and it was just a, a, a brilliant week, actually, kind of residential. And Perth came along that summer and did a week's training uh, as our coach and just some just some amazing times and some amazing memories. And I think the thing with Ian is he's such an inspirational guy and um, I see him as a real role model and someone that is as a lad and as a young man kind of growing up was someone I massively looked up to. Yes, relative to their sailing skills and, and things like that, but also just about the way he conducted himself. He was, you know, quite a cool, chilled out customer. He didn't get stressed. He didn't get angry. Um, he dealt with everything kind of seemingly so easily. And, you know, it's no surprise to see a man like that at the top of a system like Artemis because, you know, when, when push comes to shove, he's not a man that panics. He thinks logically. And that was a real great moment. And I remember him trying to show us in our top of days kind of how to do body kinetics and things like that. And we were in a classroom at the UKSA and he sat on his chair and, uh, and was kind of showing us how to move our hips and I think in the whole debrief, he managed to snap about three and a half chairs um, <laughs> with his pure kinetic kind of power. And I think at that point, I just kind of fell in love with a, with, with a man that could, um, that could exert that much force. I thought, yeah, OK, that's pretty cool. I think I spent the next 15 years trying to do that in the debrief. I've never managed to snap <laughs> one. So clearly my my power is, is low compared to Percy's. You obviously need to spend some more time on the Watt bike and... I know, I know that is that is true, but I blame it on my two children. I don't have the time anymore. Um, they're, they're my they're my reason out. But um, it was it was just a great a great time, and I kind of look back at someone like that who spent time with us. He was he was great. I, I think he was pretty new to coaching. Perth obviously spent more time sailing than coaching, but some of his techniques were slightly. Um, you don't see them in the RA handbook, should we say, uh, flower like yeah. uh, he, he'd get us to full speed in your toppers. You'd be kind of going out full speed, you know, kind of 12, 13 years old. And he'd, you'd be going flat out at wind and he'd, he'd kind of get the rib a couple of boat legs behind you. And he'd match the rib speed and your boat speed. <laughs> and then he'd take his hand off the throttle and hold it up in the air. And he would just go, I'm catching you, I'm catching you. And he'd just <laughs> munch you down. And, and when he kind of, when he mounted you, caught the back of your boom, flipped you upside down, 
you know, he'd kind of, as he accelerated off into the distance to go and catch the next person, he'd be like, you slowed down too much, Holes. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> got to swim it, swim it around to grab it. You know, it wasn't something I'd experienced before. But um, it was. It doesn't quite work with lasers and all the gel coat, but in a plastic <laughs> bag, it worked like a treat. So it's it like hike or die. Yeah, it, it, but it was that, and he, and he kind of took that relatively literally, and I was pretty scared. But um, it made me hike pretty hard as well. So, yeah, yeah that was, um, yeah, Perth per is a pretty special guy. I've got some great memories of him. I was very, very lucky. And, um, yeah, I see what he's doing now, and I, it's no surprise to me that he's, he's, he's doing some big jobs and some big positions because he's that type of guy. It's, it's a huge change from, like you said, you know, back in the day, <laughs> you know, having him in a rib behind you. Nowadays, that, that sort of thing... You know, couldn't go on. No, not not at all. And even to get people like that behind you with a rib um, would, would would cost the world. Yeah. Um, and and rightly so. So yeah, it, you're absolutely right. Back then, it was a real. The coaches were generally the top sailors that were just dropping back into coaching to earn some money to fund their own sailing. You know, at that point, sailing was probably semi-professional. Um, so there wasn't all the lottery money at that point. So to be honest with you, the, the sailors like me coming through the system, we we benefited from it. You know, imagine imagine a youth squad now and having uh, Elliot Hansel and Paul Goodison kind of hop in for the weekend and, and show you some bits in a laser. Yeah, yeah it, it was a very very you know lucky time uh, from that point of view. Yeah, that, it sounds like it. I mean, to have sort of the top people in the sport then coaching you as well is you know also very beneficial and somebody else who sailed with Ian Percy was uh, Andrew Simpson yeah so Bart Bart was a, a, a top guy and kind of you can see how they complemented each other pretty well in the start I think when I first met Bart he was top of the laser full rips and just starting to go into the fin um, and he you know he, he was absolutely rapid in his full rig and he was you know he was a, a large and life character and something I always remember Bart was his love for sailing you know, his love for sailing, his love for people, his humour, his love for Tottenham Hotspur. He was a mad Tottenham fan, that man. Um, so, you know, kind of chatting about football, he was he was an all-round character. And when he got into the fin, you know, it's no surprise he got into the fin. He dominated um, and he was kind of win- winning a lot of big events very, very quickly. And, and there's no surprise, you know, at that point, he was clearly going to go and do something special. Um, but he, the things with Bart, he did everything special, but he also did it with a massive, massive smile on his face and kind of showed everyone it was about to kind of love the sport. So that was, yeah, that was great. And then, you know, he just missed out on 2004 Olympic Games um, because at that point, Ben jumped into the fin for a couple of years and him and Ben had a pretty close battle uh, between them in the fins and just pipped, just pipped Ben. And that was pretty hard for Bart to take. You've got to imagine there's someone that's been working, uh, you know, really, really hard for kind of eight, nine years. You know, there was no one in Bart's way to go to the games. And then Ben jumped in and just pipped him to it, um, to 2004 in Athens. That was pretty hard to take. And and I think at that point, Bart could easily have stepped out of sport and gone, you know what, enough's enough. But it was a sign of the man that, you know, that wasn't really what, what he had planned. And uh, clearly jumped into the start with Perth and went and dominated in 2008 over in Beijing. And actually, to be honest with you, kind of those two guys, you know, 2008 was pretty special for me, Olympic Games. I kind of finished my sailing at that point. But to watch Goody, Perth, Bart all win gold medals and for me to be sitting at home going, wow, i kind of really good friends with those. So I kind of sit and drink beers with those guys. And to see them on the TV uh, being seen as these amazing people, um, 
was, was, it was an amazing moment, actually. And I think it's, I'd quite like to say at this point, Ben, it was really interesting when Goody came back and we did some after-dinner speeches. And it was great because Goody go and get paid to do the after-dinner speech. I'd go along as his friend and we'd get loads of free alcohol. <laughs> and, um, and I'd like a free night out and Goody would kind of get paid for it and I'd just get a free, free night. So it was awesome. We had a right old laugh in 2009. But um, what he did do, I think what, what Goody was exactly right with when he did those speeches, he always kind of said, you look at you look at us, you like because he's he's oh, kind of best friends with person, but they're the same age group, same era. He kind of said, you, you, you know, you look at us and think we're something special, but we're not. We're just three lads that were in love with the sport, desperate to do well, and ultimately committed to it. And he's like, none of us are special, none of us are that different. We just wanted something, and we wanted it bad. And and I think for me that was a real moment. Shame I finished saying at that point, but that was a real moment for me to go, wow, that's so true. Um, these people that uh, are doing these amazing things they're not necessarily uh, kind of special individuals that no one can mimic in actual fact they're just pretty keen to do something and they won't let anything get in the way so yeah they, yeah, three three pretty special people in my sailing career I'd say oh, Just a few things to pick up on that I think when you mentioned about those three all winning gold in 2008 that must have been you know inspirational for yourself to sort of go oh, did you think at any point oh, I'll get back in the laser and see how I can do it was tempting when you see kind of people that you feel quite close to do that well. Um, but I suppose in 2008, ultimately, I'd kind of, I'd had my injuries, I'd had my operations, and I kind of knew physically, physically kind of that sport was beyond me. Um, or, or at least that kind of hiking sport was beyond me, I suppose. Um, and trapezium was still well, well within it. But I think really kind of, it's a bit of a motivation for me as a coach, if I'm really honest, where, you know, I see these sailors these young sailors at open training and national training and you know you just don't know what they're going to do in eight years time you don't know where they're going to be um you don't know what they're going to be doing whether that's a sailing world or non-sailing world and that just excites me to think that at some point one of these guys could eat guys and girls i said when i say guys actually guys and girls that's just my terminology um you know one of these guys could be be the next kind of sailing gbr gold medalist and there's absolutely a reason why that couldn't be the case. And it all starts with a love for a sport, sailing at a club somewhere. Um, and that could be lake, sea, north, south, east, west. But it, it starts with getting in a boat and having a laugh. You also think, you know, that sort of camaraderie you all had together, just having fun and bouncing off each other, just pushed you forward as well because you were so tightly sort of knit in a way and you all had the same interest in just getting better. Yeah, I think that's a, a really, really good point. We were we were very, very good friends most of the time. Uh, we had some hiccups along the way, um, definitely. We had a, a disastrous uh, full rig trip down to the Zombie. It was a little island off the south of France. And um, we, there was one day there was no wind that we'd taken our windsurfers down because there's sometimes some big breezes in the winter. There was no wind and basically I, we'd, myself and Paul had gone out in with the rib and a windsurfer, and I was towing him behind behind the windsurfer on like a wakeboard style. Yeah. And um, he fell off. I turned the rib round, slipped out of my kill cord on my um, on my on my leg, but I didn't actually slip far enough to pull the kill cord out. When I stood back up, I was about a metre away from the, from his board, and he was kind of on it like a stranded seal. <laughs> and by the time I pulled the throttle back, I kind of just gently cruised over the top of him, oh. and. Um, and he kind of rolled his board over and he swam so far down yeah. that I'm, I stood up and I couldn't see him. 
and he must have swam so far down. It felt like I, I felt like I was standing there for minutes by myself, and he he popped up um, a little bit further away from the rib. Absolutely fine, but you need us to say at that point we weren't friends for for the rest of that day. Um, and I put a crease across the middle of his windsurfer, which also didn't go down particularly well. And it was an ill-fated trip that one, Flower, because about two days later. Peter Walker, you had to get the river across to the mainland. We were staying on this little island. We had to get a river across to the mainland where the van was. We'd, we'd driven the van down. And Pete Walker, Porker, we used to call him, and he was the driver. And then he jumped onto the rib and slipped and dropped the dropped the only van oh, keys no. we had to the bottom of the marina floor. Oh, it sounds so, like that rib was just cursed. It, it, it was cursed. Looking back at it, it was, um, yeah, it didn't particularly well for us but um, needless to say we basically threw porker in there and then in this disgusting french marina <laughs> with all sorts of things floating on top of the water but that oh. was that was not of interest we, we were like you get the keys and you get it going and in actual fact we never got the keys the keys are still there to this day and <laughs> um, pretty pretty deep in some mud and dirt and all sorts of stuff and we had to yeah it was um it was it wasn't a great trip we ended up having to borrow a van off an irish team and drive an Irish fan back and post keys out. But it was, it, like you said, it was it was all part of it. You know, it was all part of kind of making mistakes, learning from it. And we were extremely tight. And when we were on the water, we were unbelievably competitive. Yeah. You know, tra- training training sessions were pretty brutal. Um, and you wouldn't really want to be getting one over on each other. And it was all about kind of competition. Um, so it was definitely a squad ethos. We were definitely very, very good mates, a lot of us. Um but um, but yeah, on the on the water, it was it was pretty it's pretty tough going. Well, I know myself, I'm petrified of you know losing my keys sort of any time. But now I'm going to be even even more petrified when I'm near the water, make sure they don't end up in the in the bottom of a French harbour. <laughs> you certainly don't. Porker told me it's pretty grim when he was diving with his goggles on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. Anyway, let's let's get back. So, next person I've got on the list is uh, Jim Taylor. Yeah. So Jim Taylor Scooby um, is was his was his nickname because um, he kind of spoke like he was on Scooby Doo, <laughs> the cartoon years ago. Like he was, and he was a fantastic guy. He was a couple of years older than me, um, and not not the tallest guy in the world. Um, but he was Olympic funded sailor with me and he was absolutely, uh, absolutely rapid in that kind of short, choppy, technical kind of days. And and what was really interesting is I didn't really know Scoobs that well until I kind of got to a decent level. Um, and what, you know, what I thought was great was actually he, his parents weren't sailors. They had nothing to do with the water. Um, he hadn't sailed until he was actually a lot older and hadn't been in any youth squads or anything. Um, I think the only squad he found himself in was actually the Olympic squad, um, which I just think is absolutely brilliant. And Scoobs is a great example of you don't have to come from a marine-based nautical family to be good at this sport, and you don't have to have been doing it since you were seven years old either. And he was just um, he was a fantastic, a fantastic guy, really, really quick sailor, um, and I think you know was very open with what he was good at. And I always liked Jim because when he was going quick, he was really quick to tell everyone why he was going quick. Um, and for me, he kind of truly understood what it was to be a squad, like a squad sailor. Um, it's a strange sport, isn't it? You work as a squad, but only one person goes. Yeah. Um, and that's that's really difficult. It's very different to most other sports. Um, so it's it's a very different one. But Scoops, you know, you know, 
Scooby, without doubt, helped Goody win his gold medals. Um, sounds with his like pace sounds like the ultimate team player in a way. Yeah, absolutely. He, you know, the, and, and he was such a nice guy. No one, you couldn't dislike him. You, you couldn't dislike him. In actual fact, there's a, there's a great story. We're out in um, there's we're out in Weymouth Bay. Big big day from the east. And Scoos was doing a little bit of coaching, um, and it was Andrew Walsh. Uh, Walsh, who was in our squad, it was been youth squad. And Scoops just came surfing, uh, kind of, you know, while she was sitting with his sail flapping, look, looking for a bit of feedback. Scoops came in the rib, um, pulled back on the throttle, but unfortunately was surfing on about a four-metre roller and just couldn't couldn't stop the rib and essentially ploughed straight through the side of, of Walshie's boat. Uh, kind of a foot into it. Walshie kind of dived out of the way to save his life. Um, and it all ended up in a massive pile. And I think at the end of it, Scoops kind of turned around and went... Big old wave that one, and then just drove on. <laughs> kind of, but you couldn't, you know, everyone just laughed and no one held it against them because ultimately that was Scooby and it was never intentional and it was just it was just a comedy moment. Yeah. And um, yeah, that was yeah, that was a fun. I just popped back in my mind actually. Good good memories. I, I think just like you were saying and about the, the the squad, you know, you work all together, but only one person ends up going. It, it's a very odd sort of situation to be in. But I think the the squads and the the people that do well, I think the especially at the elite level, the people that are at the top, they have a squad that's around them that's really successful. And I think for from my perspective, I'm sure you'll probably agree, is the younger guys, even if you're not getting on with those guys at the moment or you want to beat them, you sort of want to work together because they'll help you get better. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. You can only drag each other up. And if you if you keep your secrets to yourself, they're going to keep their secrets to themselves. And and therefore, as a squad, um, you, you're ultimately, you're flawed, um, massively flawed. And, you know, you, you hear loads of these pro athletes, don't you, in all sorts of sports go, even though I'm the person standing here, it's all about the people behind me and the people mm-hmm. that have been with me. And actually, I think you're absolutely right. When you're when you're sitting in positions like we're sitting, you truly go. That's not a cliche. That's actually true. Um, and it, and it is. And for me, there's nothing worse than I go. How how did you get on to that European event? And they go, I was 48 and I was you know seventh Brit. Yeah. And I'm like, don't worry about the Brit bit. I just want to know how you got on. You know, it's not it's not about how many Brits you can beat. It's about how how well you did compared to you know how well you could have done. Yeah. No, I I think as well if if you go into mindset of you know, you want to just race the Brits. Well, you know, what's the point in going? You might as well just stay back and just do the qualifiers. Yeah, exactly. And if that's, you know, and, and, and ultimately if some people, that's all they want to do. And, and actually that's brilliant. Uh, the national fleet, we need those people, don't we? But um, you're, you're absolutely right. If you want to go and stretch your wings and stretch your legs a little bit, kind of European and worldwide, it's all about that team. And, and from the, you, you mentioned it a minute ago, but from the youngest age right the way through, and from my perspective as well, I'd much prefer to say come 30th but be last Brit than be, say, 40th and first Brit. Yeah, well, I think that's, that, yeah, that kind of speaks volumes about you, Flower, to be honest <laughs> with you, because uh, more people, I've, I, to be honest, I, the, the more people that thought like that, I, I actually think as a country, the better we'd be doing. Um, there's, there's no doubt, there's no doubt about that. It's, it's just a peculiar sport where we have to work together and then fight it out between us at the end. But it's definitely about a, a, a team ethos. Yeah. Somebody who's currently sailing at the moment still is uh, Mickey Beckett. Yeah. 
Yeah, Beckett's a, a fantastic sailor. I've spent loads of time with Mickey over the years, and um, and kind of his big brother as well. And you know, Mickey, Mickey for me stands out as someone that I think is a real role model relative to he he does things the right way. He does things really professionally. He's really open and really honest, and he, he knows when he gets things wrong, but he's quite methodical with it. And he understands when he's got it wrong and what he can do better. And I think, you know, he's a great role for me, for someone that is, is successful and has got his university degree and has got a great university university degree and is also now kind of one of the best sailors in the world. And, and I think he's someone that really, sometimes we hear this idea of, you know, do I go to university and, and get a career or do I want to be an Olympic sailor? And, you know, I, I disagree with that. I think that you've got to choose the right time to do both of them. And that depends on where you are on the Olympic cycle and your progression and things like that. But Mickey, I think, is a great role model for people out there that just shows you don't have to pick one or the other. You can do both. And that might be having a year out here or a year out kind of in between your second and third year. It might look a little bit different, but that's the whole reason why, you know, the RWA have got these people to support you going through. Um, and I just, yeah, I find it difficult when people say at 16, 17, which way do I go? And I kind of think, well, here's Mickey nailing both, so why can't you? And so, yeah, great, great guy. Um, comes from a random part of the world where not many other people live, uh, apart from his mum, dad, his brother, and Ellie Metham. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, and they're, and they're all top guys. And, you know, he he spoke a huge amount to the, the, the Radio National Squad a couple of weeks ago on Zoom about the idea of, you know, in the southwest of Wales in Fishguard, where he comes from, there's not many boats or people or anything. So you have to learn how to train by yourself. And he's a massive advocate of, you don't need to have a coach with you all the time to get better. What you actually need to do is really be kind of accurate what you're trying to get better at. Really tell for a realistic target of what you're going to get better at that day and be really focused when you go out and do it. And he's like, that's how he got so quick in certain conditions, because he went out and sailed by himself a lot, um, but was really accurate of what he was trying to do. I so, think yeah, as well, I, like, I like that philosophy. I think as well, sort of bouncing off that, is that he makes no excuses. And, you know, if something goes wrong, he, he, I rarely hear him make an excuse about something. No. Not, you know, I completely agree. And I think that kind of tells you everything you, you need to know. Um, I, I watch a bit of football every now and again and all I hear is excuses. Yeah. And, you know, it kind of drives me mad. And I think, you know what, maybe that's the reason why we can't win any World Cups because we're just yeah. full of excuses rather than putting our hands in the air and going, you know what, we're either not that good, we're not good enough, or we just made mistakes. don't really see the harm in, in saying any of the above there either, if we're honest. Everyone makes mistakes. It's just learning from them and learning how to not make that mistake again. Yeah, and and, that, and, and you know what? You're, you're absolutely right. And that's the same for your careers when you get older, when you when you become a parent, and when you're sailing. It's the same thing, isn't it? You, you just make mistakes. You learn from it, and you crack on. Yeah. And Mickey's coach is Chris Gowers. What What do you have to say about him? Yeah. Well. If you ever do uh, an hour flower, Chris Gowers, don't ask him what he thinks of me. <laughs> uh, because oh, I Chris certainly I, will. <laughs> no, God, by me, I won't be listening to that one, mate. <laughs> um, he, you know, Chris's coaching career progressed at a pretty similar rate to my sailing career, 
So I've already mentioned he was my top of national squad coach and then he moved into lasers and I moved into lasers about a year later and he coached me a bit in radials with Mellor and First and those guys. And then he became the full head coach and I kind of got into that as well. And then he became the Olympic coach, uh, kind of squad coach, and I got into the Olympic squad. So Gowers and I kind of went hand in hand for about 13, 14 years. And um, by the end of it, I think he was pretty sick of telling me the same thing. And um, and I was pretty sick of him telling me the same thing as well. So we we got to a point where it was definitely like, right, OK, we need a change there. But Gowers, you know, Gowers had taught me so much. And actually even, you know, things I do today are influenced by how Chris coached us and still coaches now. And he's a man that doesn't give many answers. Um, because if you're going to give people the answers, you're not going to get them to think. And and if you give someone the answer, well, they're not, they're not going to think about it. They just take the answer and do it. And from that point of view, what have they learned? They haven't actually learned anything. And that comes back to that idea of being a robotic sailor. Um, actually, Chris will often just ask questions and you'll give answers and he will question that answer and, and kind of make you think and go away. And ultimately, you know, the idea being when you come back with the answer, with the right answer, he'll often agree with you. But it means you've come to it yourself. And I think it's a really great way of coaching and I see lots of coaches giving the answers just telling the sailors do this and do this and part of me thinks well you know we're all different shapes we're all different sizes we're all different weights the same thing can't work for everybody yeah what we're trying to do is get everybody to do the same output we're trying to get the boats to go the same speed we're trying to get the boats to move through the water the same way I'm trying to get people to roll tack with the same angle of heel but you know if you to get the boat to the same angle of heel, it's very different for a 65 kilo sailor to a 72 kilo sailor in the radials, for instance. And therefore, who am I to tell them how to do it? You know, actually, what I'm trying to get them to do is understand what excellence looks like, what the outcome is trying to be, and then trying to get them to work it out for themselves how to get there. Um, and Chris, I think Chris was, people I think now understand that's what coaching is. I just think Chris was doing it 20 years ago. Um, and I think people are kind of working out and understanding now what Chris was doing. And I think when you look at the sailors at the top level that he's coached, there's a reason why he, he's still there. And there's a reason why so many sailors are still getting gold medals after gold medals. Revolutionary um, in a way, then. I, I think I think so. I think he was very much um, he was he was very much leading the way of kind of modern day coaching. Um, yeah, and there's not too many people you can say that about. Um, so once again, I was pretty lucky, and it's certainly something I think about now on my day-to-day kind of teaching, kind of career Monday to Friday, um, as well as my coaches Saturday, Sunday. I, I try not to give too many answers. I try and help people maybe think differently and come about the answers themselves. And, and ultimately, when you do that and and people come to the answers themselves and it's the right answer, it gives you a real feeling of satisfaction, yeah. and it gives them a real real feeling of kind of self-worth and happiness, and that's a real important part to being successful. 100%. And moving on to somebody else who had a sort of great talent and a few people sort of my age or younger might not know him, but Cam Douglas. Yeah, Cam, Cam, Cam's a real special guy and um, unbelievable that people don't really know who he is and that's probably the sadness of it. So he was in the same radar youth squad as Elliot Hansen, uh, Lorenzo, just behind Jack Weverall, um, Mickey Beckett. And actually Cam, Cam kept on winning. Um, so he was a um, scouser 
from West Kirby and a top top lad. Look, he's got really he had like really long blonde hair, looked like Wurzel Gummidge. Um, <laughs> but he was a le- he was a, he was a legend. Me and Dre coached him for quite a while, and um, he was he ended up winning kind of the, the at that point the Radio Youth Nationals was was huge. Um, you know, kind of a, you know a hundred odd boats deep. Um, like gold, silver, bronze fleets, it was it was absolutely massive. And Cam won it two years in a row, and you could argue one of the most competitive raid or squads of all time. So he he was he was a fantastic sailor. He never grew big enough um, to be a full rig sailor. He gave it a go and he jumped in. and He was desperate to keep sailing the laser, and loads of us were pretty desperate for him to keep sailing because he was so good and he was so talented. Um, but maybe you know, maybe maybe held on too long. Clearly, clearly, I'm biased. I think the laser's the best boat around the Ilka. I just think the racing, the one design nature of it, um, how simple it is, how cheap it is. For me, it, it's hard to beat. But I think at times when you get to that level, and there, there are other boats that you can go and sail and, and excel in. And I thought Cam Cam was a great a great man, a great sailor. And it kind of saddens me a little bit to think maybe I could have been a person along the way to kind of say, you know what. Let's go and try something different, and let's go and do something different. So for me, the laser is the foundation. It lays the foundation. You can think about all those amazing kind of other sailors, like Saskia Clark's a great example. Kind of, she's got a silver and gold medal in the 470. Well, she was an ex-radial uh, sailor, an ex-radial girl. You got Rhodesy in the 49, who went to Olympic Games twice, ex-radial and Fulrich. You know, so many of those sailors um, all started in the laser. Now they might not have ended in it, but their foundation, their skills were born and bred in the laser, and, it, and they built it from there. And I think that's a real, a, a massive strength of the class. If you can sail this boat and sail it well, you can probably turn your hand to most other fleets. Yeah, I think because it's so simple and because it's so basic that the, the, the margins are so minimal that you've got to maximise on those margins to be, you know, real great at it. So I think that's a big reason why. And let's move on to a female now. Let's talk about Sarah Aiton. Yeah, I will. And actually, you know what? She sh- I think she's number eight on my list. I don't know why she's number eight. That's not really good enough. She should have been higher up. Sarah was um, amazing for me. I-, I mean, she obviously won two gold medals in the Yingling. One in 2004 was Shirley Helming. And Sarah was up at the front. And then in 2008 went back as the helm and won it again, which I think is in itself uh, pretty special. But Sarah's awesome. When I got into the radial uh, out of my topper and, and got into it, Sarah had been in the radial for probably a year or so before. But, you know, she was someone that I kind of, I think the first time I got into a port and starboard with, it was actually True Valley, the Inlands in True Valley. And she was just this, um, you know, this kind of, girl half up the second beat and it was a pretty simple port starboard and you know I might have got it wrong um, I might have got it a bit wrong and maybe kind of crossed her on port when I shouldn't have but I tell you what she made it pretty clear what she thought of me <laughs> and, and it was and it was and actually it was a real eye-opening moment for me when I'm like wow there's somebody that is that is not going to let anybody get in her way um, and she was and I kind of got to know her pretty well after that and it was it was a really awesome experience to see her progress because she was unbelievably talented she worked so hard she wasn't always the right size for these boats she was quite small but her grit and determination and her sheer work ethic along with her kind of talent for sailing was something for me i think 
you know, way above any of the girls, way above any of the boys of that era. And there were some fantastic boys in that area, Matt Howard, your Mark Howard, your Lee McMillans, your David Cars, you know, all these professional sailors and coaches. But Sarah, Sarah out of everybody in the boys' squad, the girls' squad, um, was, was more driven and someone that I look back on and go, wow, actually, I learned so much from her, understanding what kind of intensity truly was. So in a way, you, you know, can have shows that you can have role models that are both male and female. Yeah, I think that's an absolutely brilliant point, Flower, that she she was a massive role model for me and like gender was kind of nothing to do with it. And sometimes it's like, you know, you know these females, wouldn't they be great to be, you know, role, role models for the younger girls? And I'm like, what? <laughs> can be amazing role models for the younger boys and vice versa. So I think you're exactly right. And yeah, it's um, she, she was a fantastic, not necessarily role model for me because she was only a year or two older than me but I suppose I learned so much from her and when she won two gold medals it just basically wasn't surprising at all you know no, you know not surprising at all and that comes back to that amazing 2008 that we spoke about earlier with Perth Bart Ben winning their gold Sarah winning her gold it was an you know an amazing summer an amazing summer of 2008. Real sort of depth in the whole squads across all the classes that year. Absolutely. Let's, let's, Absolutely. Talk, let's talk about the two Olympians in the Ilka laser class this year of uh, Elliot Hansen and Ali Young. Yeah, so um, Elliot and, and Ali, um, I, I kind of, I think for me, they're, they're brilliant in very different ways and in very similar ways. And clearly they're both, um, you know, extremely athletic and, and powerful athletes and really built for the boats, which is, which is a, a big help. But, I think the thing for me that's really interesting, and probably lots of people don't know, is where they started and where they come from. And Ali's from kind of Birmingham and a little pond in Birmingham in kind of the Midlands area. And Elliot's from Macclesfield, uh, from a little place called Reedsmere, which, you know, is in the middle of a random forest. There's never any wind there. Whenever there is wind, it comes from 360 degrees on a compass. You've got to dodge the fishermen because they cast at you if you get too close. <laughs> And, and, they'll, and they'll whack you. And I tell you what, they, they put a lot of lead on the on the end of their lines. I had a couple hooked onto the back of my topper over the years. You know, and you just you just think, you, you, you see those guys and doing amazing things. And you think, wow, they must be on the South Coast. They must be, you know, sailing in these sea venues um, from the moment they were born. And I'm like, no, no, no. They floated around little ponds well into their teenage years. Um, and, and they just loved the sport and they enjoyed it for what it was, and one thing has led to another, and now they find themselves going to the Olympic Games. But, um, yeah, I just think we can sometimes get sucked into, it's the South Coast world, and if I'm not on the South Coast, I can't do it. And, and actually, they're two, for me, great examples, great examples of, um, of, of what you can do. It's actually, I mean, Elliot, Elliot's an interest. I coached Elliot uh, quite a bit over the years, in his youth years. I had my most painful coaching experience um, with Elliot in the uh, uh, Laser Worlds in La Rochelle, it was a Radio Worlds, and he got to the last day. He got to the last day. Um, I can't remember. Maybe, maybe, maybe like his third or fourth overall. And the night before, the night before, we'd gone shopping to kind of pack everything up, and I got stuff to get in the van. And basically, I tripped and fell off a curb and um, and snapped my ACL in my knee. Oh. And I didn't realise that actually that's what I'd done, but oh. I kind of. I was kind of in and out of consciousness in my hotel room, thinking I'm I'm in a lot of pain here. Scoobs was coaching as well. He kind of wheeled me back to my hotel room, 
and I was in the shower, kind of cold shower style, trying to keep myself going. And my knee was the size of my waist, which isn't oh. particularly small. And um, I realised I had a problem, but I kind of couldn't, you know, I couldn't not coach. So the next, the next day, the last day of the of the radial worlds, they've always kind of lifted me down to the rib, put me in the rib, and kind of strapped me to the rib seat. <laughs> And, um, and I coached the whole last day of the Laser Worlds uh, with Elliot, and he came third in the end, second or third. Um, so we had a good last day. But every single wave I went over, I think my kind of knee dislocated as I had no ACL left. <laughs> no, um, just just an absolute Elliot. warrior. <laughs> no, mate, I mean, it was pure adrenaline because I thought this man could get a medal. We've got to work hard for it. But it's, um, yeah, probably the most painful day of my, of, my, of my coaching career, that one, physically. I think as well, you can see the logic in why somebody you know you were coaching did well after that you know seeing somebody going through that pain you see it a lot in other sports as well when somebody sort of goes through that pain and keeps going it sort of builds the other team the rest of the team sort of around them and they go right can't let this guy down yeah you're, and, and that's it isn't it it's about not letting people down you know he'd invested i'd invested you know his parents had invested it was you know we weren't gonna let a, a, a dodgy acl get in the way of that yeah, <laughs> and, it, and it, you know, and it was well worth it. I've got to say. Let's let's talk about a bit of how you actually started getting in sailing. Did you come from a sailing background then? Um, no, well, not not really. No, kind of none of my parents sail. I was born and bred in Cheshire, so uh, not not much sailing going on there. Um, so you know the but, difficulties um, of travelling from up north then. Ah, uh, well, yeah, absolutely. Kind of plenty. In what that's like travelling your two hundred forty miles down to the south coast, weekend in, weekend out. Um, yeah, I've been there and done that. And you know what? It, my dad. When you talk to my dad, if my dad was in that, I would say do it all over again as well because he loved it. And I think that's an important part about the people you learn and you you kind of meet along the way. You know, when I when I look at my wedding day, seventy eighty percent of the people at my wedding were all sailors, and that could have been sailors from my topper days, from my radial days, from my Olympic days. You know, pretty much everyone at my wedding was was sailing based. And bizarrely, you know, my dad and mum and dad knew pretty much every single one of them and their parents because of all the time they'd spent sitting in hotels and camper vans and all that stuff. So it's a big commitment, but it's um, it's a great kind of, you know, area to get yourself into. So, yeah, so that was kind of how we got into it. And we went up to the Lake District loads of weekends and just sailed up there and floated around Lake Oldswater. So Oldswater Yacht Club's kind of my home sailing club. That's where it all started, really. And I just, um, I just loved it sailing around with my best mate Anto. We just, you know, we just couldn't spend enough time on the water. It didn't really matter what it was, as long as it didn't even need to float. Because after, the, like, we used to try and sink our toppers. So, you know, it wasn't even about things floating. We just wanted to be on the water having a laugh, and and that's where we got our love from it from. And then from there, we kind of went through the topper squads together and did the kind of the, the northwest circuit, then did the northwest and the midland circuit, and then. Northwest Midlands and South Coast Circuit, and and it, and it all built from there into kind of yeah everything that I do now. But it's it was it was, I mean yeah the Lake District is a beautiful part of the world. There's not many not many places where you can kind of learn to sail in, in an environment like that. It's pretty special. Yeah, it's a it's a great you know picturesque part of the country. And what then drew you into sort of laser sailing after your topper days? Yeah, I think there was kind of the natural step. Um, it was, you know, I wanted to be, I wanted to be a single-handed sailor, um, and there was some, there's something quite pure about being a single-handed sailor and being the person that's ultimately responsible for it all. 
Um, and a bit like what we were talking about earlier, about no excuses. You can't blame it on anybody else. You're the only person on board the boat. And the success is yours and the failure is yours. And you've got to take both of them probably the same way, humbly, and put it into perspective and not go over the, overboard. Um, and, and that's kind of what really drew me into it. So that was one part to it. And, and really, if I'm really honest, my purse, my barts, my bends, the rock stars um, of the sailing world, I wanted to be like. You know, they'd been, I'd seen them, they'd coached us in our toppers. And, and ultimately, I kind of, I wanted to follow their 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 past that they'd trodden and um and it was it was amazing best one of the, you know the, and I, like we've already spoken about the, the best single-handed racing you can get into is the, is the laser stuff there's no doubt about that i heard your first laser event was actually in nationals in torquay yeah local venues for you isn't it yeah <laughs> beautiful beautiful part of the world yeah in 1999 the radials um and i didn't spend long in a radial because um, i was pretty heavy I think I came out of the topper at 74 kilos. So I think I was pretty much already too heavy for a radial. And then I got a weight bench. I got to about 86 kilos in a radial. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then, yeah. That's I big. I got a lot of weight pretty quick. <laughs> and then I remember Gowers, I got into a full rig. And Gowers, like, the first thing you've got to do is shave off five kilos, <laughs> which <laughs> I was like, all oh, right. I thought it was like a big sale. He's like, yeah, no, you're, you're too big. And, you know, that, you know, actually, look, looking back at it, that was kind of my downfall. I was, whilst I was relatively tall and pretty heavy and it looked like I was the right weight and size for the boat, you know, I wasn't kind of mature with my strengths. So I was, I, I had the weight and I wasn't fat, but it wasn't necessarily strength. And that put basically a lot of pressure on my shins um, and on my knees uh, too early, too soon. I tried to do, I did do too much too soon at a young age. Um and I paid the price for that kind of in my early 20s when my body started to give way pretty quickly. So, um, yeah, it was it was an amazing experience. I, I, like I said, all my all my mates now are kind of sailing mates, and, and, and that's absolutely brilliant. Um, but um, from a growing up point of view, if I did it, if I had my time again, I'd, I'd take my time a little bit slower, not be as keen to um, just to jump into the bigger sails just because that was the right way for it. Yeah, what, what do you think? So you said about you had to you know, drop five kilos when you got into the boat. What sort of the, you know, for somebody who's big nowadays, you know, what would you say to them that's, you know, bigger at a young age? What would you say to them to try and keep the weight down with the fin now not being in the Olympics? Yeah, the fin's not in the games. The Mark II four rigs, obviously, um, you know, can, can take a bit more weight, can't it? I, I like weight's gone up a little bit. But I think it's it really is about learning the skills in the boats when you're younger. And it's not trying to rush to that destination boat like you know if you're a girl and you want to sail a laser for a long period of time well you're there's no need to rush into that radial because you're going to be there for a long time when you do get there and take take your time um, and, you, and you've got plenty of time and it's the same for the boys into the forward there's a big push to get in there very early but actually once again you know i got into that forward at 16 years old um, and i was training alongside the olympic squad at 16 years old which at the time felt amazing but I didn't need to be in a boat at that age. Um, you know, I could have been easy in my rage or still losing a bit of weight as I did do anyway and still learning the skills in a different fleet with slightly less physical pressure on me. Um, so I do I do definitely think, and I think now the big thing we've got um, in the, in the Ilka, is the Ilka 4, the 4.7, and that wasn't there um, when I was coming through. And if, if that was there when I was coming through, it would have been very different. I'd have moved out my top of far earlier, 
far quicker. And I think that the introduction of the Ilka four is really important. And I, for me, kind of Ben, I think about sailors transitioning. I don't really want people to think about I'm transitioning into the Ilka four. I'm transitioning into the Ilka six. You know, ultimately they're transitioning into the Ilka, the Ilka dinghy. And, and actually, they've got to change the rig when it's appropriate for them. And the RA are absolutely going the right way. And they're stopping these selective squads at a young age. Because that's really what makes people choose the, what rigs they're in. And they, so much of the decision is based around what squad do I need to try and get into. I know not having the squads for some people isn't that popular. But for me, it presents a massive opportunity the sailors to genuinely sail the right rig for themselves and transition at the right time for them. And that's so dependent on less on age, but actually more on height, weight, strength, fitness. They're, they're the things that we should be transitioning, basing our decisions on. If we base our transitions on age, you can find yourself sailing the wrong boat at the wrong time. And if you do that, it's not going to be fun. And if it's not going to be fun, ultimately, you're probably not going to go very quick. And if you're not going to go very quick, you're going to drop out. And the danger is they drop out of sailing, the sport, the boat. And, and I just think that's a massive shame uh, when people have got so much talent um, and, so, and so much time has been invested, but they, they end up dropping out because they lose the fun because that's why we all started fun, wasn't it? But they lose the fun because they're in the wrong rig. I think if you look at a, a range of sports as well, it, you do see some people are able to sustain that you know, long period of success in a in a sport, for instance. But they've sometimes it's people have come, you know, naturally come later to it. Somebody like Jamie Vardy, and you know, for Leicester City, you know, he's he's in you know late twenties when he first made his breakthrough, but he's at the top of the game. Yeah, absolutely. I was listening to a podcast uh, with Matthew Saeed. Do you know Matthew Saeed? No, I don't. So he, he's a he's fantastic, uh, really really interesting guy. He's written loads of kind of interesting books called. Bat. He was an um, Olympic table tennis player. Okay. And um, and then he's kind of a psychologist, and he's written loads of books about kind of black box thinking and feedback and kind of um, how to be great and the characteristics of great people. And he's a really interesting guy. And he was interviewing Brendan Rodgers, um, uh, football manager, last week. And I was listening to it, and he spoke about uh, silver medal syndrome. And basically what I was saying is so many um, kind of of the top athletes, when you look back at their youth and junior histories, were actually getting kind of bronze medals, silver medals. They weren't the heroes. Mm. They weren't the gold medalists. And actually that kind of lack of ultimate success and that kind of not being the top spot was what drove them and gave them resilience to carry on going. Hence why, like Jamie Vardy, what a great example of someone that's come to a sport, elite sport so late. You know, and, you know, if I'm really honest, I'm the complete opposite. You know, I, I had such an easy pathway. It, it all seemed to come so easy through my topper years and kind of the worlds and, and nationals. And I went into, I jumped into the full rig. And my first full rig event at kind of 16 years old, so it must have been 16, was down in Pure Valley in England Championships. All the full rig, like Olympic lot were there. And, and it was Ben Ainsley came first, Paul Goodison came second, and I came third. And, and then all the Olympic-funded sailors came fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. You know, it was that kind of trajectory. Um, and I felt so much success going through my youth and junior years. I don't think I was particularly resilient. And I think I was sailing for the love of winning rather than the love of the sport and the learning. 
And funny enough, when you get to Olympic level, then you, you sail against all those top sailors in the world at that level, you, you get spanked pretty hard, pretty quick. And you've got to be resilient and understand it's all part of the process. And I didn't understand that. And I, I got pretty disillusioned pretty quick. And that held me back massively. Um, and, I, and, I, and I had a huge plateau because I just, I wasn't resilient and I was kind of doing it for the wrong reasons. I was doing it because I enjoyed winning rather than doing it because I wanted to be better and be the best I could be at something. And that's where I think, you know, yeah, I have a huge amount of time and respect for people like James Gray, James Haddon, and, uh, you know, kind of Whaley's, you know, those guys, if you talk to them, they'll be really honest and open and go, they were not the top of their fleets when they were youth and juniors. And look at them now, like Haddon, like, you know, absolute trailblazer in the kite world, a, a fantastic Ilka coach, someone that's brought, for me personally, a lot to the fleet um, with a different angle coming from his Finn background. You know, you've got Dre, who, who you know, will say himself, kind of didn't didn't set the world on fire at the, in the boat at a younger age, but had a love for it and stuck at it. And now, for me, you know, one of the best, if not the best, one of the best, I don't want to say the best, but I, I think an unbelievable Ilka coach um, in, in any rig um, has got so much to give. Um, but didn't become an Olympic-funded sailor and didn't wasn't at the top of his squads all the time. Um, and then Wade is a real positive example of that now as well. Um, kind of modern day, look at Wade, look how fast he is, look how flashy he is, look how good-looking he is. Um, you know, it drives me mad. Um, but, but he will say he wasn't the top of his squad. Um, and actually, I disagree with that. He was the top of his squad, but he was the top of his squad when it came to commitment, dedication, understanding it was about a long game. Um, and actually, when you think about the real attributes it takes to be there, he was the top of his squad. Um, but that didn't necessarily transmit to uh, results as a 15, 16-year-old. That ties in quite nicely then to sort of a question I've got. And what would you say is the biggest difference between the people who really stick at it, who weren't so great, you know, the people like you were saying, like Sam Whaley, to the people who drop out at that, you know, say that radial transition to standard. Yeah, that, it's a great, it's a great question. I, if I had the perfect answer, I'd, I'd be telling everybody it to stop people dropping out. I suppose, but I think, I think for me, those guys that see the bigger picture, um, and that, that understand kind of to get where they want to be, that ultimate goal of kind of whatever that ultimate goal is, is, is a long journey. It's a long process. And it takes time. And I think the media is full of young success stories, whether that's sailing or whether that's kind of the, the you know, kind of your 16-year-olds playing for this Premier League team. What they don't talk about massively is actually the average age in the Premier League is right up into the 20s. You know, when we talk about kind of these Olympic medalists, what's the average age of an Olympic medalist? Well, it's not a teenager and it's not early 20s, it's mid to late 20s. And, and really kind of understanding and, and they're not impatient that people that understand it's a long, long process. And, and I think they're the people that really shine through and come through and they end up being either the best coaches, uh, like kind of your James Gray's, your James Haddon's um, and those people, or they end up being kind of your, your top athletes and, and they're the ones that will have success. So I think for me, they're, they're the ones that really do see the end game. And I think that the big one for me is they've faced adversity. It hasn't all come easy for them. They've had to battle 
um, because uh, nobody, nobody finds it easy all the time. Everybody will, fi- will have moments of difficulty. The difference being, when all those top people are having moments of difficulty, it's not in the press and no one knows it's happening and they fly below the radar. And you only see them up in the lights when it's all going well. And from that point of view, you kind of assume that's just how it is for them and that's how it's always been for them. I don't think you'll find many that say it's been plain sailing, uh, to pardon a punt, from that point of view. Yeah, um, I think, so, with, yeah. like you were saying just quickly about, you know, it's that long process and you hear these success stories of, you know, the odd person at a young age. It's sort of similar to, in the media, you'll see sort of, you know, people blasted all over, you know, in shopping centres, you know, of the perfect body, stuff like that. And it's it's sort of a similar thing. Like, yes, you have these few, you know, extroverts in a way but it's sort of that long if you want to be successful it's you've got to put the effort in sometimes success comes quickly but it's often down to having good you know genetics or having good success from your parents sort of that have put you in that right direction but the motivation to keep going in the long run tends to come from you know it's got to come from yourself yeah i think you struck gold a little bit there ben as well with that idea of one common thing to all these top sailors, um, and I say top sailors, not just Olympians, but I'm talking about top national, top um, kind of regional, top kind of international European world people, is they've had people in their lives that have allowed them to happen, make it happen. Yeah. And, you know, something I reflect on, I was just not grateful enough for what my parents did for me. And I, you know, I look back now and, and I think, wow, you know, I, I should have said thank you more and I should have been grateful for what they were doing for me more because ultimately I got to where I got to and I'm doing in the coaching world now what I'm doing really because my mother and father created opportunities for me and and saw opportunities and allowed them to happen. So you're, you're absolutely right. Behind all of these guys, there is a, a, a parent or of some form of carer who got them into it. And, and facilitated that happening and that will be pretty much common across 99% of those people um, and that's a, that's a really important point you say there and actually you're right can I add into that because yeah. when it is driven by by them and not by the sailor I think that's where the dropout comes um, and I think sometimes one you know sailors that have been doing it the whole time for themselves when you get to kind of 18, 19 and parents naturally drop out because that's a part of your life. I think you can really see the sailors that have been doing it the whole time for their own motivation because they're the ones that keep on going. Um, and I think I think that's probably a massive point uh, as to why they carry on doing it. Yeah, I, I think it's a huge part, you know, when you sort of got to self-fund it, especially, you know, it, it's hard to sort of have that mix. And you've done it, and you said about Mickey as well, sort of doing it well, mixing that, university and that sailing how what was the biggest struggle you had to overcome in that yeah well i was yeah so i was at university um i I kind of had a couple of years out sailing full time and then there was definitely parts of my body that were sore and my mum and dad were pretty keen to not put all my eggs into one basket and be kind of that one dimensional uh, kind of sailor but you know you you know me it'll be no surprise when i tell you i'm not particularly academic (laughs) <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Um, 
I don't class myself as, um, as, the, as you know, I certainly wasn't top set maths and English. Let's put it like that. So actually, when I was at university, I didn't find it that easy. And, and, and I found it really difficult getting the balance right between making sure I passed university and making sure I, I did well at sailing. Um, and I think actually, you know, what did I learn from that? Got unbelievable amounts. I learned to prioritise. You know, I learned to understand what was important at that moment in time. And, you know, when people talk about priorities, what's your list of priorities? Well, ultimately, that kind of depends where you are at that moment because your priorities change and that they go up and down at the sliding scale. And what did university, trying to do university and trying to do Olympic sailing teach me? It taught me to know what your priority was at that moment in time and don't get distracted and kind of procrastinate and, and get your priorities. As soon as you get your priorities wrong, it all fell apart. Yeah. Um, and, you know, once again, I, you know, I, you know, my boys, I've got two, two young lads. Do I want them to sail? Absolutely. Do I want them to go to the Olympic Games? Couldn't care less. Do I want them to get to an RA squad? Not really that bothered. Um, but I want them to sail to kind of understand and learn those life skills um, that we learn through sailing. And, you know, you must have done it as well, Flower, kind of the, the organisation that you've got to go through to sort stuff out. And, and kind of those skills that you learn, like the personal skills of talking to people of different ages, from different backgrounds, from different parts of the country, like they're life skills. And I learned most of those life skills through sailing. And so that, you know, that, that for me is, is kind of beyond the, the, the sailing world. So much of it is actually about the other stuff that we learn when we're doing it. And, I think and I the, never biggest, that was... the biggest thing, like you were saying, in sport in general is you know making those connections and sharing a common interest with you know other people that have that same interest as you but I think a big thing in sailing where it's so different is that because you've got to travel to all these different locations around the country a lot of people can look at it I think and say oh it's it's disappointing you know I've got to travel to you know 200 miles away down to the south or 200 miles up north to say as inventing largs but you know I personally think, well, you actually get to go to these cool places where, you know, living in Torquay, a lot of my friends haven't even been out of Devon, some of them. So, you know, to be able to, you know, to, for me to say, oh, I've gone, to, I'm only going to Weymouth. They're like, oh, really? You're going to Weymouth? And I think, you know, in the sport of sailing, we are so lucky to have being able to go to all these different cool places. Yeah, and, and, it, and it, is, it is a privilege. It's funny you talk about kind of, driving places and, and how far we've got to go and to remind me actually of a story as in my, as in toppers and I was really disorganised and I was you know I wasn't the greatest at it all and my dad kind of looked out for me loads and helped me out loads and I think he got to a point where he realised he had to teach me a couple of lessons so um, we got in a car one Saturday morning I think we were driving to the Midlands somewhere like Chase Water I think it was or somewhere and um, are you have you got anything yeah are you sure I'm like, yeah, Dad, we're, you know, we sit on the driveway of the house. Are you sure you got everything? Yes. Did you pack everything last night? Yeah. Have you done your checklist? Yep. Yeah. You haven't left anything? No. Anyway, it turns out my actual sail was in the hallway of the house. <laughs> and I'd actually stepped like over my sail to get out of the front door to get into the car. Oh, no. And I've, I've got there. something even worse after, after you said this. <laughs> and it's, you know, and my dad, bless him drove all the way to the venue knowing we had no sale oh he he even and, knew that yeah he knew oh. that and, he, and hence why he'd asked me two three times because he knew my sale 
was in the uh, hallway. But he basically drove me all the way there, spent all that money on fuel. We got there, he let me start to rig up. He let the panic set in of me going, I've not got a sale. And my dad went, I know you've not. It's in the hallway. And I asked you Friday night, I asked you twice Saturday morning, and you haven't got it. And he's like, you'll sit here, you'll watch you'll watch everyone sail, and you'll you'll clap at the prize given. And, uh, and and when it comes to next time, you'll get yourself more organised. And, um, you know, it's it's the lessons you learn along the way, isn't it? As much as kind of just the stuff. Yeah, so that was that was, um, that was a good little learning for me. I think that's uh, fantastic. So, no, I that, that is. I'll tell you that. Yeah, and in the long run, you know, you might have wasted, say, 50 quid on fuel. But in the long run, it probably saved you a lot because you made sure every event after that, I'm sure that you didn't forget anything. And absolutely, that's it, isn't it? That's the, And I think that comes back down to what you were talking about earlier, about that bigger picture. You know, what, what's the difference with, with other people? It's that bigger picture. Because you're right, the easiest thing would have been to go, stop being a fool, go back into the hallway and grab your sail. But what would I have learned? Yeah. You know, what, what, what would I have learned from that? Whereas I definitely, yeah, I definitely learned uh, the hard way. Well, I've also forgot my sail and uh a few occasions and uh one being we got to the under 21 worlds and uh in kiel in germany and uh i pulled out the boat and i realized i didn't have a sail so <laughs> that was uh that wasn't great either and i think the, i think the same event i had accidentally you know ordered 22 gbr flags instead of two <laughs> so uh that was a that was a costly costly mistake but how did you get around how did you get around the sail incident then what did you do oh well i had like an older sail but i didn't have like the new sail so i picked up basically an old mark one sail when the mark two sails were just coming in so uh yes it wasn't it wasn't i don't think it would have changed my result i wasn't any good anyway back then so i might have come i might have come 110th rather than 112th Don't give me that. You would have done better than that. You're being modest. Eh? <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, but talking about sort of that, sort of those teaching points, do you, do you still sort of do that in your, because you you know, being a PE teacher yourself and coaching, do you still do that with your, the sailors and the pupils that you have? Yeah, it's, it's concerning, Flower, because I feel like I'm turning into my dad. Um, <laughs> And, you know, you spend your whole life going, oh, I'm not going to be that person. And then, you know, a, a student or a sailor says something, and I basically repeat a phrase my dad has said to me my whole life, and I'm like, oh, no, I'm turning into Roy Holson. <laughs> and I suppose, actually, the older I get, the more I realise, actually, I'm, I'm quite proud of maybe I'm turning into someone like my dad, because he's definitely someone I look up to. But, um, yeah, it, it, it certainly is, and I think it all kind of comes down to a little bit like we're talking about Gowers. Um, all the, all those years ago as well, and I kind of certainly, hopefully, I teach and I coach in a manner where I try not to give all the answers. Um, I, I, I certainly hope I support people, and I hope I give them a feeling that I'm there for them. But I don't want to be the person that they just come to and say, "Tell me this and tell me that." Um, I'm definitely someone that I, I like to think I'm. I'm always always there, but I'm always, I'm always there to bounce ideas off. Uh, it's kind of my style of teaching, I suppose, um, and and coaching as well. And just on the teaching side of it, there must be a huge sort of, there must be a lot of similarities and also differences. I know myself, 
if you talk to if you know when we went parents evening back in the day and it was always you'd always get mixed reviews from the teachers with me it'd either be they'd either say oh yeah he's he's hard working he's real sort of you know great to have in the class or they'll say don't want him in the class he's always outside you know in detention it would be complete contrast and I think the biggest thing is if you if you want to be there you'll put the hard work in and if you don't want to be there you sort of don't want to be there and I think what's have you noticed that in sort of the coaching and your teaching that some people just don't want to be there and some people do yeah, I mean, definitely. And I think the beauty of coaching is, you know, 99% of people do want to be there. Um, and, and therefore, it's kind of a bit of, an, a bit of an easier gig, maybe, from a coaching point of view. But, you know, at the bottom of coaching and the bottom of teaching, it's actually all about relationships. And it really is about, you know, do you have a relationship with that coach or with that teacher? And if you do have a great relationship, you'll probably end up enjoying that subject. Like, I, I loved history at school. I did really well at history at school. And actually, I look at it and go, it was nothing to do with a subject. It was all to do with a teacher. Yeah. You know, and actually, Mr. Cliff, I just loved Mr. Cliff. I thought he was funny. I thought he was clever. I thought he was interesting. I thought he was engaging. I thought he made the subject kind of interesting. Like, I got no interest in what happened in the woolen mills in Lancashire in the 1600s. I couldn't care less. But the way Mr. Cliff did it, I did care. And I did want to learn about it. And it's the same with coaching, you know. Sometimes, you know, it's you hear coaches say it one way and you can see sailors not engage. You can see another coach say it, say it either a slightly different way and all of a sudden that penny drops for that sailor. And it's and it's about relationships and building building those relationships and not being kind of one dimensional, and um, and and I think that's a massive kind of a massive kind of similarity between teaching and coaching is really it's about kind of people getting on with each other with a real shared passion, and because pe- people say to me like why do I still coach, and and ultimately the answer is I just love it, you know I I just I just enjoy it I I love the coaches that I work with, I love the sailors that I work with, I love the process of learning, I love the sport of sailing, and I love watching people get better. And like I said earlier, because I don't really know where they're going to end up in 10, 20 years' time, I don't know what they're going to be doing. And, you know, at some point, it's about, you know, I'll have played the tiniest of parts in lots of people's little futures. Yeah. And and I think that's the real interesting thing. So, yeah, I, I kind of, every year I kind of go, I'm, I think this is it, I think I'm done. And then every year I'm like, I just, I'm not sure I can chop it out of my life because, because of the love, the love for the sport, you know, love for the sport and the love of the process of people learning and becoming successful. And it, and that's really addictive. So um, I kind of hope, I kind of hope that, you know, some of the coaches I work with as well, they kind of buy into that model as well. Um, and I think, I think there's plenty of coaches out there that are probably are similar to me. They're not career coaches. We have other careers they coach because they love it and i think there's quite a few of us out there i I, and i know i've not had many times spent coached by you i think it's only maybe one or two times off the top of my head but i remember sat in those cold classrooms up in weymouth and whoever's been (laughs) sat up there will know what i'm on about when it's you know two degrees outside and it feels about minus five inside and you want the radiator on (laughs) But 
in a way, as a young, you know, as a long, young flower, I was sort of there listening, and it was like the first sort of coach really that really had that passion for a few, like I had for a few years, and it really makes a difference, I think, having a coach with a lot of passion, like yourself, and somebody who's not, and I think it's the same in teaching as well. I know I can, you know, think of a few teachers that back in the day that had sort of passion like you were saying with your history teacher and it really drives the student forward I think it's the same in sailing or any sport I know coaches sort of outside of sailing as well where they've just not had that same passion and you just sort of you're just like well if they don't have that passion why why should I yeah yeah it's about, you know, coaches are often role models, aren't they? Yeah. And, and you know, like I, like I talked about Purse and Bart and Goody and those boys being my coaches and just, you know, I was just desperate to be like them. And, and you know, that was, that was what they portrayed. That's what they showed me. And, you know, I appreciate you saying that. That's really nice to hear that kind of it, it came across like that um, when you were kind of being coached. Because you're right, you know, we might love sailing, but in the darkest depths of the winters, it's still pretty miserable. Yeah. I was out today... <laughs> I was out today and I was, I got about twenty minutes upwind. I was like, "Why am I doing this?" <laughs> in in the fog, <laughs> cold as hell. But you know, it's a love, isn't it? Yeah, it's a love. You, you 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 love it, and that's why you do it, and that's why you're still doing it. And actually, to be honest with you, and it's a spill off from that. That's kind of that's kind of why you're doing this, you know. And, and there'll be people listening to all these wicked podcasts over the weeks, you know, and little nuggets will drop in and. You know, you'll be having impact on sailors around the country who listen to this. So you have no idea you've had that impact. You know, but you but you definitely will. So it's a really yeah, it's a really cool thing coaching and, and I think this is brilliant as well. Kind of opening the world of coaching through through stuff like this is great. Well, I know I I mean I my personal philosophy is like I got inspired in like twenty ten when do you know Sidney Crosby? Yeah. Yeah, so uh I, I remember when he, you know, shot you know the golden goal in in the 2010 olympics and i was just there with a few of my friends and it was just sort of like so inspiring and the way it shifted the whole philosophy of like the whole you know inspired the whole country of canada as well was i was sort of at that point i was in two minds like i want to be just like him but at the same time i want to inspire people to then go okay well they will then do it and say ah ben flowers and you know he inspired me and it, it just carries on because I think it's one thing doing something for yourself and then there's another thing then doing something for other people that then moves forward. And going back to that open training, so I was at, was, it was the first sort of... I say I only had you a couple of times and that's because you just started integrating standards into that training. And for me, when I first started sailing, uh, especially standard sailing, there was sort of no way to know... Whereabouts, you know, where do I get the training? Who do I go? Who do I approach? And the only way it seemed like was okay, you've got to get into youth squad, but I didn't even know how to apply at that point. So, just talk about that open training, that sort of bridge between, you know, the open training and youth squad sort of thing. Yeah, there's um, there's a really I could now talk for another hour about open training (laughs) and the UKLA and kind of what we're doing and what we want to do and. You know, in, in, for many, many years, it's been a national training program, you know, and we based it at the National Academy and it's been really great. And, you know, we've had, you know, a couple of people win the youth nationals and beat all the old RA squad sailors, 
you know, which for me was a real great moment. Not because I want to really beat RA squad sailors, but it was just a proof that you don't have to have a badge to be great. Um, it's just about what you want to do. And Jake, you know, Bohey and, and kind of um, James Foster, they, you know, when they went, they weren't part of the squads, but they were just great sailors. So that that's a real positive. But, you know, we... We kind of changed our structure, and and Rob, the chairman, Rob Cage, the UK chairman, has got a real clear vision, which I kind of absolutely agree with. That we need to get coaching and training out and around the country, um, and get it open to as many different sailors as we can. And you know, open training now is what we absolutely mean. We mean open training like any rig, any age boat, any type of sailor, any age sailor. You know, it's about getting people on the water and getting off the water better than when you got onto it. And and that's kind of really what it's about. So open training is is absolutely open and that's really important. What um what we also really try and do is get regional and get into as many different parts of the country as we can. And that definitely has its challenges at the moment during COVID. You can imagine a lot of these clubs don't have their doors open to visitors. Um, a lot of clubs are quite rightly saying we're open to members but not to visitors and that's kind of got in our way a little bit but I don't particularly want to use that as an excuse we're trying to do as much as we can um, so we've kind of got more stuff going out of Warsash we've got stuff in the east of the country uh, we've got stuff in the Midlands uh, Northwest is starting to build that we really need to keep pushing but it's still massive parts of the country that you know there isn't any local regional training happening at the moment and that's my job as the training officer to get that going uh, and really start building that and behind the scenes we're putting quite a lot of work in and I have to give a, a big credit to James Haddon and to Sean Priestley of the Andrew Simpson Foundation you know with my job Monday to Friday I can't necessarily give it the time it needs um, but James Haddon and Sean are doing fantastic work at the moment behind the scenes to really set the training scene alight and really start thinking about it's not just about, you know, if we want great training, it's not just about training people to sail, it's about training people to coach. And what we want to do and you know, with the UKLA is actually set up a kind of a, a laser club training scheme where we look at you know who are the best trade you know sailors in your club you know get get them out in their lasers and actually start building their laser skills to pass that through the club levels and really start to build it at that point and it's a really exciting move i think it's definitely the way we should be going and and like you said kind of ultimately it boils down to why why be a member of the ukla well actually there's great sailing there's great racing. It's the best single-handed racing in the country. And we want to get to a position where another reason being, no matter where I'm in the country, no matter where I move to, there will be some great local training. And and that's the ultimate goal um, that we're going to get to. And it's going to take a bit of time. We, we're well aware of that. But um, I've got quite a few people kind of joining the bandwagon to make it happen. And that's really important. So it's, it's a great moment, actually, Ben. And you're right, when you came through, there wasn't that much and, and what we've got to do is when the, when the next Ben Flower comes through um, which which I hope isn't too too far away there's a, there's a system in place for them God help um, God help the world if there's another Ben Flower well we're all <laughs> unique and that's, we're all unique mate and that is definitely true <laughs> for you so that yeah, I'm, I'm happy to say that but I think you're right I think when people and, and I think when people haven't been in the RA system it's quite daunting and I think at the moment the RA system is kind of shrinking and there's less there's less RA support around. So never has there been a more important time for 
um, the UKLA to step up and have a great system and a great structure. But um, I want it to be really clear that I don't want the training to be seen as under 18 or under 21. Of course, that's a massive part to it. But we're more than that. Our association is bigger than that. You know, we're, we're a national association with a huge, uh, varied demographic. And there's no reason why, you know, everyone, and you, you all know it as well, you will see sailors at your, your club, the Flower and the Laser, that they're battling up wind in 20 knots with no downhaul on. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm like, I could revolutionise your world in five minutes. <laughs> you know, and I can't help myself. Like, when I'm at these clubs... You know, doing things, I can't help myself but just grab people around the boat park and go, can I just retie some things on your boat for you? And isn't that the beauty of the laser? You can turn it into almost an Olympic beast with like 20 quid of rope and a couple of blocks. Yeah. And and it's, and it's fantastic. And I almost, you know, I get a massive buzz from kind of, yeah, people who have sailed the boat for 20 years wrongly. Um, kind of go, oh my God, it feels very different. This It feels quite good. The rudder feels like it's really light. And I'm like, bingo. Yeah, um, that's great. So that's a big part of what we're trying to do going forwards. There's no doubt about that. And I, I think the open training really does work. You mentioned Jake Bohay. I know uh, it's a shame he doesn't have the same motivation as he did back in the radial because he really did improve a lot through that open training, and he had a great work ethic. I thought, and from you know, I was in the standard, he was in the radial, but he was always out, you know, running before going out sailing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's right. And I think sometimes, you know, people get into the systems. I don't know. I wouldn't like to talk on behalf of Jake, but like you said, Jake was exceptional at open training and worked his way through after a good few years of doing it. Um, Spent a huge amount of time out of Stokes Bay with Ben Elvin and Chloe Barr, who's now Chloe Elvin. Congratulations to those two. And, you know, and he spent put, put all those hours in. He didn't need a badge. He didn't need a squad. And ultimately, when, you know, he got into the squads, potentially it was a system that didn't fit him um, for whatever reason. He wasn't maybe allowed to be himself. Um, I don't know. But, yeah, the, the, you know, Jake's a great a great example of coming in, doing open training, and that actually opened up so many doors for him. And, you know, I was, I was really proud. I was like a proud dad flower, you know, yeah. when, he's, when, he's do, when he's doing that. And don't get me wrong, I... I, I you know, I'm close to link to the RN. It's not like I didn't want those guys to win, but um, yeah, it was an, it was a fantastic moment, and I just thought it was a great message. It was the message of, you know, anyone can win this with the right attributes. You don't you don't have to be in a squad. Yeah, I think that's a huge part and a huge reason why people should, you know, join the UKLA and <clears throat> take part in the training and the and the racing because I think really it's it's just great fun. Yeah. And, and, and really, we've come full circle, haven't we? Kind of, why do we all start doing it? Because it's fun. And if no matter how serious you get or no matter what level you get to, if you lose the fun, you will stop. And even if you don't stop and you carry on doing it, you won't be the best that you can be. You know, to be, to be excellent at something, to dedicate a huge amount of time to it, finance to it, you have to enjoy it. And it's got to be fun. And... I kind of think hopefully through the UK they train it and that's a big, big push that we try and give. Um, you know, I always say the two two focuses are make sure everyone's safe and make sure everyone has fun. And actually, if everyone's safe and has fun, learning just happens um, and you don't really have to force it too hard. And yeah, I think you're exactly right. You've got to keep it fun. Yeah. But it's, it's been great to chat with you, Tim. I could talk all day to you, really. But 
it's only sort of an hour long podcast but we'll have to have you back on at some point because i'm sure there's a lot more stories you can tell but that's it for this week for an hour flam make sure you do you know check out all the episodes there's 19 up now so go check out them if you haven't already and make sure you stay up to date as they will be coming up every week but thanks again tim absolute pleasure flower thank you very much